Numbers chapter 20. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, this incredible history just unveiled before our eyes of the journey of the children of God from Mount Sinai right up to the edge of the promised land. And Lord, just the riches of what we learn from this journey. And I just pray, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that I uh, that not one word that you want to be declared would fall to the ground, that it would all, uh, Lord, be declared and received by all those listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Numbers chapter 20 starts off in verse 1, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Uh, now, when it says the first month there, that they arrived in Kadesh at the first month, it is generally believed by scholars that this is the first month of the 40th year. Uh, we do know this uh, chapter occurs uh, soon before the Israelites enter into the promised land. And so it does look like the 40th year. As mentioned in my last message, uh, some of the events here in Numbers, for example, the rebellion of Korah, it's unclear exactly uh, when uh, that occurred in the journey. Uh, there was, of course, the rebellion at Kadesh Barnea, um, we uh, saw that, and uh, that was in Numbers chapter uh, 13 and 14. Uh, that was around two years um, after uh, they had left Egypt, um, but the events in between uh, that and the uh, chapter that we're in, chapter 20 today, it's unclear. I personally believe that Korah, uh, the rebellion of Korah happened probably well into the wilderness uh, wandering. It's um, not impossible to believe, but uh, seems very unlikely that Korah would have been uh, rebelling so soon after that rebellion at Kadesh Barnea, and uh, but considering the the consequences that the uh, Lord meted out on the children of Israel and the rebels, but um, hey, Israel's done things like that before. We've seen that done that them do the those things before for having extremely short memories. It's at least possible that it was soon after. I tend to believe that it's probably a 5, 10, 15, maybe even 20 or 25 or more years after, and uh, the memory of Kadesh Barnea had faded, and uh, so they began their uh, rebellion in which uh, Korah and others came to Moses and said to him, hey, 
Um, why is why do you think it's just you who are holy and speak for God? We're all holy, and uh, they soon found out um, that uh, their rebellion was uh, greatly misguided, and so um, the earth opened up on them. But here we are. We are in chapter twenty. And we will see in this chapter, um, they are going to begin their final march. So they've been um, wandering around for uh, about 39 years, something like that. And they're in their 40th year. And uh, w by the end of this chapter, we will see um, the, the march, the go-ahead, where God tells um, Moses, okay, now it's time to go. Remember... In chapter 13, 14, 15, right after that rebellion, the Lord uh, uh, meted out the consequences against um, the the people. Uh, some of them came back and said, hey, we're, we've sinned. Uh, we're going to go up and try anyway now. And uh, Moses said, no, it's too late. you got to suffer the consequences of your rebellion. They went out. Uh, and tried anyway, and the Malachites soundly defeated them. So uh, Moses was not a part of that. It's not uh, up until uh, here in chapter 20 where Moses gets the go-ahead from the Lord to, okay, 40 years is up, now you guys can, um, or is it the 40 years is nearing completion, now you guys can uh, head towards the promised land. Uh, it says there that uh, in 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 verse um, in verse one that the the people stayed in Kadesh. Now that uh, is the same place that they had been thirty eight years earlier. And oh, how this! Uh, I pray that this just does a work in your heart um, as. As you as you meditate on this, as you chew on this verse, that wow, they are in the same place they were 37, 38 years earlier. The same exact place. They're back where they were. And, and you know, this is what happens because of unbelief. It will result in a life with no progress, no making difference. Uh, for the Lord. No bearing fruit uh, in your life. On Sunday morning, we're in John chapter 12, where it says, most assuredly, uh, verse 24, where Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. That's, of course, a reference to the cross and resurrection, but also um, ha, is meant for, for you and for me. And uh, sadly, this uh, speaks to the fruit bearing of so many Christians' lives. There, there's a refusal to die. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, that his life would be revealed in our mortal body. But uh, so many refusing to die, living a life of the flesh, and um, after 37 years, they're the same people that they were 37 years, 37, 38 years prior. This is tragically what um, the picture here is in uh, Numbers chapter 20. They're right back at the same place. 
So here we see Miriam uh, dies. Uh, we will be seeing later on uh, Moses dying. In the book of Deuteronomy, he dies at 120. And so uh, remember Miriam uh, is older than Moses. Uh, recall the story of Moses being put by his mother in a, a little raft, um, little ark in the Nile River uh, to save him because the uh, Pharaoh had ordered the death of all newborn male children. And his sister followed him and saw Pharaoh's daughter scoop him up out of the river and went to her and she uh, volunteered to go find someone to nurse uh, the baby Moses. Of course, she went to his biological mother, but you gotta think at that time, that she's probably around 10 to 12, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older. So uh, Miriam here, probably around 130 years old uh, when she is uh, dying here. Uh, she was, if you remember, uh, a prophetess um, of the Lord. Uh, yes, she had that one failure. Uh, fortunately, it um, did not appear that she gathered many people to it um, other than her brother Aaron. Um, I'm speaking now of when she spoke against Moses uh, and the fact that he had married a Cushite woman um, and, and God struck her for leprosy for that and, and her rebellion soon ended. That was really quick. Uh, but uh, in Exodus chapter 15 verse 20 she is referred to as a prophetess. And remember, her and all the women went out uh, to celebrate after the Israelites had been brought through the Red Sea and the Egyptian army had been destroyed when God uh, opened up the, the, the sea back up, the floodgates of the sea um, on top of them. And so here you see her dying, uh, 100, uh, 130 years, and you can see... Uh, uh, God's grace, uh, Aaron, we'll see later in the chapter, will be dying as well. And uh, you see the grace of God, though, they have uh, did live to the, to the very end um, of the, the wilderness wandering. And uh, uh, they had seen so many things. Verse 2 says, Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come out up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place. It is not a place of grains or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Now, <clears throat> as you read this, it's hard to process, at least for me. I, you know, they've gotten into so much trouble speaking like this in uh, the past, and God uh, faithfully judged them for those, um, you know, previous rebellions, the previous complaints. Now, remember, these are the children 
of the parents who had already died off, the parents who had been complaining. And uh, so one, uh, one explanation for this, which is um, as good as any that I can think of, is this is just um, the, the parents having rubbed off on their children. You know, it's uh, parents, uh, it is so important that uh, you uh, that um, you be a godly example uh, in the home, a godly example in the home. Uh, because let me tell you, um, if you are complaining about the Lord, about the church, about all those hypocrites at church, whatever, your children are going to be doing the same thing, and they will rebel. I, I tell you, um, one uh, area that I have really seen which foments rebellion in the heart of the child is uh, our parents who, who are critical uh, towards uh, the leadership of the church. And, and, and the church itself. You know, the church is imperfect to be sure, but it's also the bride of Christ. It's a serious thing to be criticizing the bride of Christ. But here you have it, the children um, of those same complainers are complaining again. Uh, and they're saying, this is not the place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. Of course, they had um, been promised that. And, uh, of course, we know that the promised land, the land of modern-day Israel, is just that exactly. In the days of, of, of David and Solomon, I always love the, um, the, uh, the, the description of, of, of prosperity, that every man lived under a fig tree and had a, a, a had a, a vineyard in his garden. And so, yeah, they were coming into that. So important that we wait upon the Lord. Psalm 25, verse 3 says, none of those who wait upon the Lord will be put to shame. They're not waiting here. They're not waiting here in the promise of God. They have been fed for um, 39 years. They have been uh, cared for by the Lord for 39 years, but that's not good enough. And uh, so important that we uh, remember God's admonition um, to our uh, our tongue and not not speaking unbelief. And when we speak unbelief, it affects other people. I tell you, um, recently, just here recently, we had a difficult situation um, in our in our family and. Um, I was just uh, complaining to my wife, uh, complaining about the ministry, complaining about life. And uh, uh, within a couple of days, she was downcast. And uh, it was obvious that that was, uh, uh, was the result of my unfaithfulness, of me opening up my mouth and speaking in unbelief. And I did have to... Uh, apologize to her for speaking in unbelief in spite of all uh, the faithfulness of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. When you are speaking, are you imparting grace? Are you building up? That's what that verse, verse 29 of Ephesians 4 says. Let it be for necessary edification. Edification means 
um, edi- um, and the Latin there is edificio, to build up. Is what you're saying building up or is it tearing down? And so um, verse 6 says, So Moses and Aaron went from the uh, presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. I I, got to tell you, uh, Moses, what an outstanding example. Apart from Jesus to himself, which... The Bible says he's ever making intercession for us, no matter how ugly we're living. Uh, Jesus is um, ever making that intercession for us. Uh, Moses, what an example. To the very end, he's uh, again nearing 120 years now. He has given his life every day. He he has been an example um, that Paul of, of what Paul speaks, of the life Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, of someone who uh, daily is giving himself to de- unto death for the, for the sake of the people. And here they are coming against him, and of all things uh, accusing him, why did you bring us out of the land of Egypt? Why did you do that? Um, so they're rescued from slavery, and... They are accusing this man who was the instrument of that rescue. Why did you do that? Oh, my. And it says that the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And God is faithful to meet us when we are interceding on behalf of the saints. He's uh, faithful to meet us there. Uh, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation, and their animals. And so Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank now uh what's with this rod well um we had read about the rod We had read about the rod in, in chapter 17. This was the rod that Aaron presented before the Lord alongside of a rod of each of the other um, 11 tribes of, uh, 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 of Israel. And his uh, sprouted forth with buds, blossom, and yielded ripe fruit. The other 11 rods did nothing. They remained dead. And so um, it was uh, just that that affirmation of the Lord um, that uh, Aaron was the only high priest in Israel. That was what one of the things that Korah's rebellion had, had been about. And so here the Lord is telling him uh, to take 
the rod, and it says, um, it says speak to the rock um, before their eyes. That's important. Before their eyes, and it will yield water. So Moses goes to the rock with the rod and says, Hear now, you rebels. Okay, whoa, Moses, hold on a second. Who told you to say that? Well, um, it wasn't God. <laughs> uh, and um, he, he is addressing them in this way. And, and uh, then he says, must we, not must God, but we bring water for you out of this rock. And so um, he, he, he strikes the rock twice and water comes forth. The congregation uh, and the animals drink. Moses probably there steaming and uh, may even be thinking, wow, you know, all the great things I've done for these people. I hope the Lord is very appreciative. Well, uh, he was, if he was thinking that, um, he was in for a surprise. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses and, signif and significantly it says, and Aaron, not only Moses, but Moses and Aaron. So Aaron uh, had gone along with it because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. One thing that I want to address before we get into the heart of, of, of what Moses did, we dissect it um, a little bit more, is that um, the interesting thing here that it says that uh, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Uh, it it when he is told later on in this chapter that he's not going to be able to go in the promised land, the Lord gives the reason in verse 24. And the reason is because you, Aaron, rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. So he took, um, it, it, interesting that word, rebel. So Moses and Aaron rebelled against uh, the word of the Lord. You know, we try to dress up sometimes uh, what um, our disobedience to the Lord, you know, we, we call things like mistake. Well, you made a mistake at the water of Meribah. No, the Lord says you rebelled. And, and uh, before I get to the heart of what Moses did, I think it's important for any of you listening here, um, if you are sort of a deputy of a leader, a helper of a leader, um, or really anyone, maybe just a member, I shouldn't say just a member, but a, me a member of a congregation where there's a pastor where you see the pastor going in a direction or behaving in a way that's inappropriate, please, I beg you, go tell them. Don't just go along with them. Just, you know, don't just say, well, he's the pastor and and uh, yeah, this looks a little strange here, but uh, God's given him this authority. No, don't do it. Aaron should have, um, apparently, when, when Moses and Aaron were uh, 
taking that rod and going up to the, the rock. It was really, there was some kind of discussion uh, between them of uh, where Aaron knew full well the direction that Moses was, was taking and where his behavior was apt to, um, to lead. He should have rebuked him. He should have said, hey, wait, Mo, wait a second, Mo, um, hold on, calm down. Uh, you, you, you don't want to do something foolish here. Uh, perhaps Moses even told him, I'm going to beat this, you know, the side of the rock with a stick. Uh, no, Moses, don't do that. He said, speak to the rock. Don't beat the rock. I am so blessed uh, when um, folks here at Calvary Chapel in the city, uh, uh, most of the time it's elders, but sometimes it'll be a member of the congregation. They come to me and and they will tell me, you know, I, I, it just makes me feel uncomfortable, you know, what you're, what you're doing here. Are you sure you want to go in that direction? And uh, I'm at the point, you know, I've been pastoring many years where I, I crave feedback. I love feedback. I want people speaking prophetically into my life. And so if you're an Aaron or if you are even a member of a congregation um, who is uh, seeing a leader, maybe it's at, at your work and you're seeing um, something at your work where a, a higher up is doing something inappropriate, go to them. Yes, there the fear will come in, but the Lord will protect. And so um, let's uh, let's let's get in a little deeper into uh, into what Aaron. Um, and Moses did here, it says in verse 12, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly in. So it starts off with, you did not believe me. You did not believe me. I told you to speak to the rock. Apparently there was unbelief in, 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 in Moses' heart. I, come on, you can't speak to a rock. Uh, remember, um, about 39 years early, earlier, he God did tell him to strike the rock. And when they were fresh out of uh, Egypt, the nation of Israel were complaining about water. Um, and uh, the Lord told him to strike the, ro the rock, but uh, I, he just didn't believe it. He says, speak to the rock. What are, what are you talking about, God? Uh, you, uh, you know, there's this rock here. Uh, I can't just speak um, to this rock. I got I to gotta, I gotta strike it. And, 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 you know, sometimes the Lord will ask us to do things which in the natural mind, it makes no sense. And that famous verse in Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So some things the Lord asks us to do did not make any sense. He did not ask him to strike the rock with the rod. He asked him to speak to it. Now, why is this important? Well, um, we know why this is important because this rock we are told uh, specifically uh, by 
the Apostle Paul that uh, this rock represented none other than Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.4 says, uh, and all drank the same spiritual drink, speaking of the children of Israel who came uh, through the Red Sea, for they drank out of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so uh, there's, um, there's, a, there's a type here. There's a picture, a type, a biblical type of the rock and um and uh, the first time the rock was struck with a rod that was 39 years earlier. And similarly with the uh, Jesus Christ, he is crucified once. He's struck once um, by those who smit him. He was struck once, but um, Jesus died once, the just for the unjust in order to bring us to God, First Peter uh, says. He's not uh, struck many times. And so um, it's important uh, that once Jesus is struck once and he is resurrected from the dead, it says that at that point um, we can go into boldly the throne of grace Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, uh, boldly and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In other words, um, we can, at, because of the crucifixion and the resurrection, we need only go into the throne room and speak. And so a very important type. Never forget Luke chapter, anytime you are... Uh, reading the Old Testament. Never forget the last chapter of Luke. Luke uh, 24 with uh, uh, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and uh, Jesus gives them that uh, Bible study. Oh, to be a fly on, not the wall, but the robe. Uh, <laughs> as they were walking down um, that that road to Emmaus where uh, it says in verse 27 of Luke 24 that in beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And, and so um, one of the things that was a type was this, was this rock and um, what God really had intended was um, in accordance with the life death and resurrection of Jesus is that Moses could now speak to the rock who was Christ. And he didn't do it. It says, because you did not believe me uh, that um, you shall not bring the assembly into the, into the promised land. Verse 12 continues, and it says, because you do not believe me to hallow me uh, in the eyes of the children of Israel. So that's a, a second reason, was that, number one, he didn't believe him, didn't do what he said to do. Number two is that he didn't hallow him. He didn't uh, represent him um, accurately. He didn't uh, um, represent his, his character accurately. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we 
are told the fruit of the Holy Spirit, verses 22 and 23 there. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? You guessed it, self-control. And so uh, the Lord every day calls us to represent him accurately before the Lord. Now, the farther that we go up into the uh, leadership of the of the church, uh, the more important it is, because others are looking at us in leadership to be a representation of the character of the Lord. And uh, one of the characteristics of the Lord, part of his character is self-control. Now, we don't really talk about, uh, we don't really talk about it that much. We talk a lot about the the converse of self-control. The, the, the opposite of self-control would be long-suffering. God suffers long, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, mean, meaning he'll watch us misbehave for a long time, um, to the point that he suffers. And in the Greek, it takes a long time to boil over. Self-control is kind of the opposite of that. Self, uh, or, or a lack of self-control is, you know, someone does something wrong to us and we blow up. But that's 99% of the time, that's a misrepresentation of the Lord because the Lord's love suffers long, meaning he has self-control, meaning his character is one where he has complete 100% control over his response to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I appreciate that so much about God, and I do so more so year after year after year, that, that, that God um, is perfectly controlled. He, he's, he, he, he doesn't get up he doesn't get up on the wrong side of the bed. Uh, and you know, lo and behold, we walk into the, um, a room with a bad attitude and, and, you know, he, he swats us upside the head. That's not how God is like. God is perfect in his self-control. Now, when Moses here is, uh, in front of these 3 million people, he is, uh, really the one who is representing God before all of them. And uh, he is really more so than even any king of Israel ever. Uh, Moses is sort of in a class of his own. He's a prophet. He uh, is also in the, uh, you know, he's a Levite. He is able to go right into the uh, tabernacle. We've seen him do that. Um, and so he's in the priestly class and, 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 you know, in that way, uh, he's unique. He is at the very top of the pyramid. And so for him to represent God in such a way as when someone comes in to the throne room of God with, with a complaining spirit, which Israel did here, and to sort of just blow up. Uh, the Lord doesn't want to leave the children of Israel with the impression that that's what he does when they come to him. And so 
uh, this really is a big deal. You know, there are some things and, you know, I read in the Bible that uh, from time to time, it's, uh, you know, I, I struggle with them, uh, but uh, this isn't one of them. I, I, the fact that, uh, that God prevented Moses from going into the land um, of Israel, even after serving him the way he did for, for really for 80 years. And it's just because of just that principle of just um, the, the closer you get to the sun, wow, the hotter it is. And the, the greater fear you need to have of the Lord. Now, Moses, uh, man, I, in terms of my heroes, I mean, he's definitely, uh, you know, in, in the top three or four. The man is a, the most amazing example of an intercessor and someone who faithfully walked with God in, in spite of literally millions of people complaining against them. Incredible example. But I so appreciate, just for myself and for others in leadership, this example that, look, God is holy. And if you are high in leadership, particularly at the top of a pyramid, man, you cannot misrepresent him in front of the people. Notice here, you know, it's one thing for, for Moses to get into his tent and, and vent, uh, you know, with the Lord or, or something like that. But as we uh, saw here, uh, this was, uh, it says uh, in verse 8, it says, God says to Moses, speak to the rock before the eyes of the people. So he was in front of all of them. And so, uh, look, you know, there's no consequences of this. Well, then that basically gives Joshua, who's going to take over for Moses, to be the same kind of leader. And, and, and God takes leadership very important. And I quote it a fair amount uh, in these sermons, but in the book of James, it does say, be careful, all of you who aspire to be teachers of God's word, because there's a stricter judgment. Well, there was a, uh, a strict judgment here, uh, to be sure. Now, um, there is just going to be this wonder, wonderful grace uh, that um, th there will be this wonderful grace that we will see where God's going to take Moses, um, and he is going to... Uh, take him to uh, the top of a mountain right on the edge of uh, the promised land so he can see the promised land that he's going to be going into. Of course, um, in the Gospels, we will actually see Moses with none other than Jesus and Elijah at the top of a mountain in the promised land, so he makes it there. But uh, this was uh, a serious thing. Now, look, the, the, the nation of of, of Israel here, the children of Israel, clearly their behavior is grievous. Clearly, in my mind, I, I with all my heart, I believe the, the Lord uh, was upset here and was deeply grieved, deep, uh, perhaps even angry. But Romans chapter 12, verse 19, the Apostle Paul says to them, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. In other words, let the Lord do the judging. 
And we, Moses had done that before. He had done that at Kadesh Barnea. He had done that in the rebellion of Korah. He had done those, this in other places. Um, he had left, ultimately left the judgment to God, but now he doesn't. He, he's going to uh, give him a spanking, except it's not the, the people themselves being spanking. It's Jesus Christ himself. And so a real serious thing. I'm um, just back to the, the thing about the type. Uh, Any time in the Bible uh, that you mess with a type, oh boy, um, you got to be careful. And, and this is why, and I, I know I say this um, many times, this is why uh, divorce to me is uh, the, the older I grow in the Lord and the more years that go by, I'm very fearful um, about making light of marriage by just saying to folks who come into my office without a biblical reason for divor to, to divorce, oh yeah, just, yeah, sure, get divorced. You're, you haven't got along for years and obviously your life in the home is miserable. Yeah, this is no kind of marriage. You, you guys just need to get divorced. No, because it's a type. It's a biblical type. Um, the husband... Uh, the groom, uh, Christ, the bride, uh, Israel, or uh, the church, or you and me. And uh, we don't mess with these types. And uh, I read w this account of Moses, and I, I, I remember that I can't mess with these types either, including when it comes in uh, to the whole area of, um, the whole area of, uh, of divorce. You, know, you, you notice that in spite of their grievous behavior, uh, he strikes the rock in verse 11. It says um, water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drank. And I'm reminded there that in spite of the behavior, the uh, untoward behavior of uh, the leader of the people there, God's able to sort of overlook that behavior uh, and... Uh, and, and bless the children of Israel anyway. Uh, you know, um, he could have said, wow, you know, their leader's really messing up here. I'm just going to let them uh, uh, basically uh, die of thirst. Uh, but he doesn't do that. Not only does he not do that, it says the water came out abundantly. And so, you know, over the years, I um, have seen this, uh, of course, in my own ministry, I make mistakes and the Lord... Uh, Water will still come out abundantly at Calvary Chapel in the city, and uh, but um, in more extreme examples, I sometimes I, I've I've seen uh, pastors, leaders of churches, um, in which there is just horrific scandal. I, I remember in uh, Atlanta, uh, I uh, had a friend. Steffi and I had uh, friends. Um, at a, a Pentecostal church on the other side of the city. I'd never been in a, in a Pentecostal church in my life. I was going to a non-denominational Bible church at the time, a, a wonderful church um, itself, Grace Community Church. But we uh, had friends at this Pentecostal church, and I, uh, I, I, we visited um, their Pentecostal church and um, was tremendously uh, blessed in many ways and in, in many ways was introduced to the life and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I don't have time to get into all that now, but uh, began to realize that I needed more of the Holy Spirit in my ministry and in my worship and in my life through this church. 
Uh, but I also saw the the that um, the 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 Holy Spirit, and remember the the water coming out of the rock throughout the Bible. The water represents the Holy Spirit. Um, remember John chapter seven, and with the the, the water pots were being uh, dumped out by the priests at the final day of the uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus said, "What." Um, he who believes in me, rivers of water will flow forth from within him. So speaking of the Holy Spirit. And um, I saw in this church also the life of the Spirit, just tremendous thirst for God uh, in these people manifested in their thirst for the Word of God. And just them had friends just in this church, uh, this Pentecostal church, devouring uh, devouring the Word of the Lord. And um, a number of years later, the church was thrown into probably one of the most horrific scandals, uh, perhaps in the history of the United States. Uh, the pastor at the time was, um, well, a, a pre, at some point in the life of the church, had an affair with the worship leader. The worship leader was the uh, his brother, who was also the co-pastor, uh, his wife. And so... Um, they had a child together, and it, the whole thing was kept secret for years and years. CNN did an expose of it. Utterly, totally broke my heart and really left me sick for all my dear friends. But as I read about this story in Numbers chapter 20 with the grievous behavior on the part of Moses here, um, at least in the Lord's eyes, which was grievous behavior. He didn't believe. He didn't hallow the people. Uh, it says the water flowed out abundantly, and, in, and, and the Lord does that. He did that in that Pentecostal church, uh, not only in my life, but in the life of, um, of all those sweet brothers and sisters um, and uh, some of whom I maintain contact to to this day. And so uh, crazy, but true that the Lord um, will overlook untoward behavior on the part of uh, leaders and, um, and still allow the, the Holy Spirit to pour out uh, on the congregation. And so, uh, let us continue. It says in verse 13, this was the waters of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. Verse 14, now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, to the king of Edom saying, thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that was has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt and we dwelt in Egypt a long time. And the Egypt, Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through the country we will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from your wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not uh, turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Remember where we began here. There, um, 
they are on, this is really, this is the beginning of their walk uh, back to Israel. I, I should say for the second time, they had begun their walk once. This is their second beginning. And so this is in the 40th year and they are, um, they're, they're going now to the promised land and we will see them eventually reach their, their death destination here. So in verse 14, we see that re-beginning, this second march, the first one being a failure. Moses sending messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, uh, saying, thus says your brother Israel. Uh, why is he calling uh, the people of Edom your brother Israel? That is because they are, the Edomites are blood relatives of the Israelites. The Edom, uh, Edomites are uh, descendants of Esau. Esau, of course, was Jacob's brother. Uh, they were twins in the womb. Of, uh, of of Rebecca, and uh, we see a uh, we see here um, a reference to that, and they're on their way back, and they're saying, "Look, we um, we uh, are." were afflicted for many hundreds of years, have pity on us, uh, oh cousins, oh distant cousins, and and uh, just let us get through. We won't um, devour your vineyards on the way. We just need passage uh, through, uh, through Israel. And uh, it says in the response of the king of Edom, verse 18, was, Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. And Edom said, You shall not pass pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Verse 21, thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Now, uh, this may strike you as slightly odd. I mean, why is it we are going to be seeing Israel actually wiping out many of the inhabitants of this land per the instruction of the Lord? Why didn't they just do that here? Is this another act of unfaithfulness here? On the contrary, this is an act of faithfulness, an act of obedience. God didn't want them messing uh, with the uh, children of Eden. Uh, remember, Isaac, notwithstanding all of Esau's flaws, he did he did bless him in the end and gave him a blessing. And uh, the Lord here says, um, the Lord had um, did not want them uh, messing or going to war uh, against. Uh, the de descendants of Esau. Actually, we'll see in uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 2, verse 5, speaking of the Edomites, God says to Israel, meddle not with them. Do not meddle with them. Do not fight them. 
And he says, for I will not give you their land, not as much as a foot breadth. Uh, and so uh, that land was the Edomites land. It was for the descendants of Esau. And so very interesting. This is why it's just so important to always be going to the Lord in prayer, because, you know, one might guess if we didn't know anything else that, of course, that um, uh, the Lord is going to give them would give them license to just go and wipe these people out. But uh, no, so oftentimes it takes us seeking and digging into um, the, the will of the Lord uh, to really find out what his purposes are for our life. So they refuse. Verse 22 says, um, Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and Mount Hor by the border of the land of Egypt, Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the uh, water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar, his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, now, all, now, when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron for 30 days. And so, uh, note again how what was done here was done in the sight of the children of Israel. Verse 27 says he um, uh, brought up, he did just as the Lord had commanded. He's really particular now after uh, what happened earlier in the, the chapter to do exactly what the Lord had commanded. He says he did just as the Lord had commanded. And he went up to the um, uh, Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. So the Lord wanted Moses to bring Aaron up in the sight of the whole congregation. Um, why is that? Well, uh, remember Korah and others. Uh, there had been rebellion over this uh, jealousy, over this high priest position. Uh, the, um, uh, the Lord wanted to know that there was a successor to Aaron, and that was none other than Eleazar. And so it was in the sight of, um, it was in the sight of all Israel that this, that this happened. Uh, it's, it's also interesting to me that he took all his garments um, up there. And uh, if you remember back in the book of Exodus, uh, there was just a great detail uh, that in ch chapter 39 of, uh, of Exodus, uh, incredible detail um, that went into the garments of, of Aaron. I mean, there was uh, the, uh, I'm reading now from Exodus 39, verse 1, blue, purple, and scarlet thread uh, with the garments were made off out of. And there was then there was the ephod of gold, blue, and purple that was put over uh, the uh, his garments. Uh, rather, that's the gold, blue, purple, and scar scarlet. Um, there was the uh, the 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 breast 
plate with uh, precious stones on that. There was the the turban with um, that was uh, carefully uh, made as well. Uh, and so um, you have um, all of this, and the, you, you had the crown. Uh, in verse 30 of chapter 39, it says, of Exodus, it says, then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold. Uh, and all of this, um, Aaron was dressed in. He's, again, he's older than Moses too. Uh, and uh, probably around 125 years old, 130 years old himself. And he's walking up there probably with some help and just this full array. What a uh, a fascinating, spectacular scene uh, that must have been. And uh, it's at the top that it's all stripped off. You know, we take nothing into the world and we take nothing away, it says Job. And this is just a picture of that. And um, it's given to, to Eleazar. And it's an important principle that uh, God's, uh, God's work continues on. There is uh, no man or woman who is indispensable in ministry. God will raise up uh, the people. He loves his church, and it's his church, and he will raise up the people for it. So uh, he dies in, in the sight um, um, of all Israel there, and uh, there is this changing of the guard, and, and Eleazar uh, comes down, and, and Aaron is, is buried up there. Okay, well, God bless you. We will... Continue next time in Numbers chapter 21.